This is the easiest way to explain how training and adaptation works. Pretend your body is a car. You go out and you go drive. You come back to the shop, depending on how you drove that car, certain things might be worn down, broken apart, and the mechanic might repair that, those parts, those things that are worn down, but instead of just repairing them, it will make them better than they were before. So if you go out and do that same activity, it doesn't get worn down and broken down so much. So let's use that example. That car goes out and it drives and it goes off-roading. That car's suspension is gonna be worked. The paint's gonna be worn down. As a whole, the entire car is being used. But certain areas get worn down more than others. For example, when you go off-roading, it might challenge the suspension in a unique way. That car comes back to the shop, the mechanic works on the suspension, you fix it. Now let's say that car goes and drives 100 miles in one day. Car comes back to the shop, the tires appear to be more worn down than the suspension this time. So this time the mechanic makes the tires better. So next time you go and drive 100 miles, the tires aren't worn down as much. The suspension was worked, but not nearly as much as it was when it was off-road. Just like when it was off-roading, maybe the tires weren't worked as much. Now let's say you drive this car in a sandstorm. The paint gets ripped away. So next time you go bring the car back to the shop, you make sure you get paint that's gonna be resistant to whatever sandstorm exists out there. So next time you're in a sandstorm, the paint doesn't you know, get washed away. Yes, the wheels were worked. Yes, the suspension was worked, but they weren't really stressed. So what's happening here in this example is your body is always working whenever you do something. It's gonna operate as a whole. However, certain systems are going to be stressed more depending on the activity you do. If you go run a lot, well, your cardiovascular system might be stressed in a certain way, much different than if you lift a lot. Certain muscles might be worked if you squat a lot and certain muscles might be worked if you sprint a lot. Yes, there are going to be similar muscles being worked, but the amount of stress applied to those muscles is going to be different. Now the mechanic is basically your internal system. Your internal system doesn't know you're going sprinting. It doesn't know you're going to go squatting. It just has metabolites that it responds to. Metabolites are the breakdown, the wear and tear. Just like if you go out and you drive in a sandstorm, it appears the wear and tear is most heavily done on the paint of the car. Or if you go off-roading, the suspension, this wear and tear sends signals to the body to repair those areas and those tissues. So if you're the mechanic and that person drives in a sandstorm only one time and only one time in 10 years, there's no need to spend a whole bunch of money and time trying to get paint certain paint that is sand resistant, wear resistant, because that's anomalous. It's not typical we have that activity done. But if we keep doing that activity and we keep having wear and tear, well, then it probably makes a lot of sense to rebuild that to a level that's gonna be resistant to a sandstorm. Same thing with your body. You squat one time, you're not going to develop all the tissues 
related to squatting. You go sprint one time, you're not gonna develop all the tissues related to sprinting. It takes repeated, consistent stressors. The last thing is, is when you go out and do something, let's say you go and drive that car off-road and you wear the suspension down, when that mechanic comes back and works on the suspension, if you go drive it the same amount off-road again, it's not going to be more worn down. The suspension's able to handle that. But if you go and drive even more than you had done before, you come back with more wear and tear, mechanic is gonna rebuild your suspension, bigger and stronger, more durable. Same thing happens with your body. You go and sprint every day and you only sprint four times, your body is gonna get better at sprinting four times, but it's not necessarily going to build the capacity to be able to sprint 10 times. If you go run one mile, you're not gonna be great at running 40 miles. It just doesn't work that way. You have to progressively overload. You just lift 20 pounds on your deadlift for eternity. That's no overload. There is no signaling that there is stress. So stress is relative to the breakdown because again, I, the mechanic, can only respond to the metabolites that exist. So in this model, there's a couple things you wanna take away. One, it's the repeated stress over and over again that causes adaptation. It's the stress has to be consistent in nature. You're not just off-roading one day and in a sandstorm the next. It has to be progressive in nature. If you just off-roaded until your suspension broke, you need a new car. And lastly, your whole body's always working when you do these things, but certain areas are stressed more than others. It's specific. So with that in mind, when we think about training, we wanna make sure exercises are specific. We wanna make sure that the progression allows for overload. We wanna make sure that we are consistent with our training. We wanna make sure that our training is be able is done in a way that is repeated to allow for more than one stressor to be applied, but a multitude of stressors to be applied. So it's not just one time we go out and work out, but it's a consistency in which we work out. So a consistency in the type of stressor, but also a consistency in the number of times, the frequency in which we are applying stressors to the body. Lastly, but not least, and not really mentioned here, but is important is the mechanic only has so much energy to repair certain things. So an infinitesimal amount of work and wear and tear is not gonna yield infinitesimal adaptation. You go and drive your car and you beat it up, the suspension, the wheels, the paint. Well, you can't fix it all in one day. It's gonna take a while and you might not have enough money to fix it, so you're just out of luck. So you only have so much energy in your body to adapt. So you need rest and recovery, but also enough supplies to rebuild those. That's the easiest way I can explain the process of adaptation in a way that's actually much more complex and nuanced at the detailed level, but from a macro picture is very simple and pretty consistent and easy to understand conceptually. So I hope that makes sense. I appreciate you guys listening as always. Thank you to subscribe, take care. Feel free to leave a like. So I saw this video posted by Mark Bell and it was reposted. I'm not sure the original post was. It's a repost of Marv Marinovich talking about the difference between athletes who train strictly with weights and those who have a more athletic build. 
and his time as a scout in the NFL, I believe, with the Oakland Raiders, um, and how that affected his player selection and what he found with scouting. And basically, long story short, he found that when people just lifted weights and they were more muscular, they, are, they weren't always the best athlete. And I thought this is an interesting topic because it brings about a lot of observational issues we have. Um, just simply, if we're gonna play the observation game, there's a classic line, I'm not sure whose line is this, by the way, before I go any further. The amount of evidence you need to refute an argument is equal to the amount of evidence used to support an argument. And so if we're just using observational data with no statistical tracking, no numerical representation of your findings, then I can do the same as well to refute that argument. So if you're just saying observationally, the most muscular athletes are not the most athletic athletes, well, uh, Miles Garrett would like to enter into the conversation. He, Bo Jackson maybe, these guys are extremely muscular, extremely athletic, and very good at their sport. I think what Marinovich was trying to say is that the general development of hypertrophy, which is often an um, lifting culture considered strength, again, it's gotten a little better, but more times than not, people think big muscles mean strong, equates to a more athletic individual. If you're more muscle, you can produce more force. Force makes us move, therefore you're faster. People draw that linear relationship or that cascading relationship. Muscle creates force, force creates motion, motion creates speed, therefore more mass means faster. And that's just not really true. And the issue comes down to a lack of definition. First off, it is the amount of force that you produce that creates motion. That is correct. But that force is relative to the amount of mass you have. It's not just the general amount of force, it's relative force. It's also relative force in the time period at which that force is being produced. If I'm running, I hit the ground, I have a very short period of time to produce lots of force. I'm um, squatting, it's very different. The time at which force is being applied is much shorter when I sprint, much longer when I squat. Also, how force is being produced is very different. You have to be kind of silly to even think that sprinting, posturally, muscularly, even how the movement is initiated with an impact is equivalent to squatting, which is a grounded movement in which you on-rack a weight. The movement starts with large tension and ends with large tension. There's no form of relaxation or joint coupling in terms of uh, motion in different joints having to synchronize with other joints from, say, the upper body to the lower body. In a squat, it's much more of a controlled pattern in the sense you have hip and knee extension, but we don't have this form of rotation along with some movement of the shoulders and the hands and knees and just go watch sprinting and go watch squatting and you can clearly see that they are not the same. So this again comes down to a poor definition and I call this the game of telephone and strength and conditioning. Omar Marinovich might be repeating uh, something he has seen. If he doesn't express every infinite detail, you as the consumer are not going to be aware of every infinite detail. If you're not informed about every infinite detail, you're going to fill in those details with your own biases and opinions. Not saying Mark did that, he just made a post, but this is really commonplace in any form of knowledge consumption. We fill in the gaps that we don't know with 
biases and assumptions and we don't recognize them as assumptions. We kind of just, because we have majority knowledge, like 70% we understand, we put 30% of assumption in and then we bundle it all up and say, oh, here's 100% uh, knowledge. Not really true. Um, it's kind of funny. It's a parallel to like the housing crisis. If you guys have seen the big short where they had was it double A graded bonds and triple A graded bonds, even though the idea is that a graded bond, I'll be really short and quick and succinct with this, is basically a bunch of loans put together and they say, hey, these people are gonna pay off these loans. And they say, oh, well, 10% of these people actually might not pay off the loans, but because the rest is really good, we can grade it as a double A bond, triple A bond. So you take it as a whole truth. What happens is if you overestimate and you say, well, I think 90% are great loans and it's actually like 50% and the rest 50% is kind of BS and crap, then it kind of creates a catastrophe as you saw in the big short. This is the same thing that happens with knowledge and information. We have a great piece of knowledge, but then we start to fill in our own little bits and we just keep assuming that it is double A knowledge or great, you know, triple A knowledge and it's really not. And then next thing you know, you go to apply it and it just kind of crumbles apart. And so what happens here is we don't define actually what the heck it means to be a good athlete. A good athlete is about being able to express your force during the sporting context. Sporting context is really specific. If anyone's interested in more details on this, Dr. Anatoly Bondarchuk has some amazing books about this. He's one of the greatest coaches for shot putters of all time, all throwing athletes in um, the, the Soviet era of sports. And then we also have Dr. Yuri Verkoshatsky as well. And basically, long story short, is that they determine that strength is very specific. It involves the motor skill of expressing strength, doing a little shot put there, the coordination of your limbs and timing, so that's how all the joints couple to express it, and then also the specific muscles that are being worked and how they actually are being worked during movement. Like if I'm sprinting, I hit the ground, my foot has an impact, I have a rapid stretch on my essentially whole body. You could say a big demand for vertical stiffness, but maybe a stretch in the ankle complex, and quads and so on, which is very different than if I were to squat. That is not saying squatting cannot be useful, it's just saying they're not one-to-one -one and you have to understand what aspect of squatting is actually useful. So going back to the Marv Marinovich thing, what happens is he makes a grand blank statement saying more muscular athletes, in his opinion from what he's seen, are not as athletic or good football players as people who are not as excessively muscular. Now let's think about the era in which uh, Marinovich was scouting, the specifics of training didn't really exist like it does now, especially in Western culture. So when you were to look at an athlete, if someone was obsessively training bodybuilding, well, that's a very, very much a non-specific means of developing muscle mass. Because during that time, more mass was assumed to equal more strength and more force. And so you could assume that that individual allocates a lot of time to isolated muscular work and you only have so much time in a day, they're spending that much time to isolated muscular work that doesn't really have that much yield on the field, then he's obviously, with that individual, is not maybe doing as much field work. So that's one reason why this might occur. Another reason might occur is if someone's big and muscular and strong, they might be just big and muscular and strong and not technically or tactically as skilled. In the NFL, you have to be very skilled. It's not always the strongest player who wins. It's a player who knows how to run the right plays, be in the right positions. So someone might have been masking their lack of football IQ by just being overly strong and powerful and technically not as sound as they could be. When they get to the next level, 
being technically sound makes a very, very, very big difference. You can't mask your errors with sheer strength and force outputs. So when he makes that statement, it might not be an incorrect statement. It might be a correct statement from what he observed during that time. He didn't say lifting weights was bad. It was just the excessive uh, excess of hypertrophy and bodybuilding like influence might be a sign that someone might not be as proficient athletically as someone else who may pursued a different route. On top of that, someone who maybe isn't as muscular, hasn't spent that much time being muscular because they might just be a freaky athlete themselves. They were so athletic, they didn't feel the need to train. I've ran into several of those before. Uh, they're just absolute freaks of nature who I wish I could be one myself. I was that athletic, I didn't need to train. But because they're that athletic, their level of endowment of athleticism is just higher than anyone who's ever going to train and get there. And because of that, picking that person is going to be a really good option because if they just play the sport really well, all they got to do is focus on the sport and they're just freaky athlete. So we have all these different examples and context to this discussion, but to take a single statement like Marv Marinovich and then say, this is why we shouldn't lift weights. Again, not what Mark Bell said. I don't know who originally posted it, but it's common practice in our industry to do or any industry that you are operating in any form of knowledge consumption and then just run with it and say, oh, this is how it works. It's a little bit of like that, again, putting in some BS and some double A grade bonds where you fill in the assumptions. You don't know actually what Marinovich is saying. Remember, every sentence someone says, there's especially when it comes to science information and discourse on something that's a complex topic, they're typically, if they're an expert, are speaking upon a large accumulation of evidence and information they've synthesized, and that one sentence actually might be founded on 10 years of interpretation and research. But you just take that one sentence without being in the context of that research or interpretation, and next thing you know, you don't really fully um, understand, I should say, where that came from, because they might have might be more nuances involved. They might have glossed over some specifics they didn't deem important for the specific conversation because the person you're talking to doesn't really want to listen to you, I don't know, ramble on about the intricacies of sciences and how your sentence that you said about someone saying, oh, I don't, you know, uh, think lifting weights as a great indicator of someone's athleticism is actually much more nuanced than it actually might seem on the surface. Like I made an 11 minute video talking about why and why not the statement is kind of and kind of not true so i hope that makes sense go check out the video go have your own opinion let me know what you think in the comments down below i appreciate you guys as always take care hope you enjoy and thanks for subscribing and liking these videos